You're listening to the Crossroads Grace Podcast, a podcast of Crossroads Grace Community Church. To learn more about our gathering times and ways you can get involved, check out our website at crossroadsgrace.org. We're going to continue this week in our journey towards Easter by looking at the famous last words of Jesus yet again. These are those words that Jesus chose to leave his disciples before he went to the cross, before he died for the sins of the world, before he defeated death and resurrected. All these words before he did all of that. And we said that last week that the last words of someone are the words that stick with you. Right? Those are the words that stick with you. For instance, I'm very particular about the last words that I tell my kids before they go off to school every day. Maybe not every day. Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday in the weird, weird world that we're in. Right? So that's when it, right? And I ask them before they leave, before they leave, I tell them, hey, I want you to be good listeners, good learners. And then I leave a kind of a silence and then they fill in the blank with godly leaders. Right? I want to be good listeners, good learners and godly leaders. And, and after they say godly leader, I tell them I love them. See, I want the last things that they hear from me, the last words before they go is that I want them to lead and that they are loved as they lead. I want that to stick on them. I want those to be the last words that they hear from me. And and Jesus so loved his disciples, so loved you and so loved me that he made sure that some of his famous last words were, were ones that stuck with us. He wanted to make sure that, that what he told us would stick with us beyond just kind of us, us reading it, that it actually stuck with us. And so, so last week, we actually looked at some of Jesus' famous last words. And, it, and the first ones we found were in John 16, 7, where he says, I will send him to you. Jesus says, I will send him to you. And the hymn that he was talking about was the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit was sent to guide and to direct and to encourage and to draw people back to the grace that Jesus gave them. But, but in order for the Spirit to come, Jesus had to leave, which is why what we said last week was so important, that Jesus left so the Spirit could rest. And when we let the Spirit of God rest on our lives, we are able to, to see life differently, and we're more in line with Jesus. That's what we had to remind ourselves. But, but what else did, did Jesus say? Like, what, what else did he leave that, that he wanted to leave for the world to know? What are some of the other famous last words of Jesus? Uh, well, today we're going to be looking at more of those words, um, the more of those famous last words in John chapter 15. So if you have your Bibles with you or your Crossroads Grace apps, it's a perfect time to open those up, John chapter 15. Now, online connection here, online chat host, make sure that you are putting in John chapter 15 in the link right now. Also put the Crossroads Grace app in there too. Great place to download a good resource there. And, and just like last, last week, let me kind of tell you where we're at in John chapter 15. We're in John's gospel, and we're in the middle of a meal that Jesus is having with his disciples. And what he's doing, he's, he's loving them, he's caring for them the best way he possibly can to impart some wisdom to them before he goes off for his crucifixion. And what I'm going to do here today is probably going to drive a few people nuts, and that's okay, online, hang on with me. I'm going to reverse engineer the message, okay? Which means that I'm going to start at the end and I'm going to work backwards. Hang on, it's all right. Type A, we're okay. I told you ahead of time, okay? You're going to be fine, okay? So what I'll do is I'm going to tell you what Jesus' last, famous last words were and then I want to see how they come to this conclusion, right? So you're going to get those first. We'll work in reverse. 
twice in John chapter 15 and once in John chapter 13, we see Jesus say something that should make us perk up our ears a little bit and pay attention. And what he said is this. He said, this is my command. This is my command. Big deal. Husbands, for just a moment, I don't know about you, but if my wife, Cherie, tells me to do something with the I mean business look, you know what I mean? Like, or the tone that, that, that you know that this, she's basically saying, this is my command. Uh, that's ironclad. That's constitutional. You will do that or you will die. You know what I'm talking about? That's that moment. So, so if we're that sober minded about following our wife's instructions, then riddle me this. What is it about Jesus that makes us second guess him all the time? I mean, if Jesus is the Son of God, creator of the universe, savior of the world, and if he says, hey, I've got a command for you, don't you think it makes sense that we should at least write it down? Like maybe just kind of pay attention a little bit because it's probably more than take the trash out. You know what I'm talking about? Like it's a big deal. So, so what would make Jesus so adamant that he goes so far as to say, hey, I've got a command for you? Well, well, well here it is. Now, now, check this out, okay? Check this out. He says it three times in three different places. And here it is. Start off with John 13. It says, a new command I give you, love one another. John 15. It says this. It says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Later on, he'll tell us this. In John 15, he says, this is my command, love each other. All right, we get it, Jesus. All right, we, we, all right, we love each other. So for a second, let me talk to my fellow parents here and online. Make sure you're connected with me here. Parents, let me, let me ask you something. Tell me if there is anything more beautiful than when your kids treat each other with love. Can I get an amen from anybody, right? Can I get a click out there, right? Amen. It is a glimmer of hope that you are not a complete and utter failure as a parent, right? right? Because let's be honest, there is a lot of days that when you get in bed, you are not sure you're going to go to bed with the same number of kids that you woke up with. Anybody else, right? I got two. There's a lot of days I only want one, all right? And it flip-flops which one I want, okay? Because most days, it's touch and go. It's touch and go, people. Things change in the blink of an eye. I mean, you are a hostage negotiator most of the day. One minute, they're ripping each other's ears off. The next moment, they're hugging each other, playing chess together. And you're like, what happened? You know? But it's in those moments when they love each other that your heart, like, skips a beat. You cry happy tears instead of the other ones, you know? You don't feel like you need to eat as much ice cream in that day, you know? It, you, you think that maybe the counseling won't last as long as you thought, right? Because every parent wants their kids to love each other because we know that when we're gone, it's the only thing that's going to keep them together. That's why. So, so Jesus looks into the eyes of his disciples, his friends, his, his kids, if you will, and he says, hey, listen, listen, love each other. Love each other. So simple. So profound. So clear. So hard, right? Love each other. And as we look at these, these next famous last words of Jesus, we see that Jesus wants us to treat each other, how he wants us to treat each other after he's gone. But he says, I want you to do it in a very specific way. So, so look really closely at John 15, 12 again. John 15, 12 says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. He says, I want you to love each other, but I want you to love each other as, what? As, as I have loved you. Which means that Jesus has set an example for them to follow about what love looks like. This, this is powerful. 
It's a powerful distinction to be made because he didn't leave it up to their interpretation, did he? He's not saying, hey, just love people how you feel in the moment. It wasn't a love that changes as the culture changed or anything like that. No, no, Jesus says, I want you to love each other as what? As I have loved you. This is, this is, this is very important. The way in which Jesus loves is, is a very interesting way to consider. Namely, because our version of loving someone is quite different than his normally. It is quite different. See, we see loving someone through the lenses of, hey, what can I buy them? Um, how can I sweet talk them? How can I romanticize them? It, it has this artificial taste to it that, that you can sense was concocted by another person to get something that they want. Like you feel that. I think we all have been on that side of that type of love from time to time. Am I right? And Because when things are going good, man, the love is all there, isn't it? But when things start to go sideways, that love seems to crumble under the weight of whatever you're going through. Except, except the way that Jesus' love was fascinatingly more simple and pure and steadfast. It wasn't going to go anywhere. It's, it's deeper than, than like selflessly, you know, selfishly hoping that your wife will think that unloading the dishwasher was loving enough to make bedtime more exciting at night, right? <laughs> Guys, can we just be honest for a second here? Is it okay to be real here today online? Would you be with me? Right, right. The way that Jesus loved was completely focused on how we love the other person. And it was in a radically different way. And John says this about how different Jesus' love was. John 1, verse 17 says this. It says, it was grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace and truth. So, so here is why this is so important, guys. Jesus not only loved people in a way that made them feel accepted, made them feel cherished, but he also loved them enough to point out, out, out some truths, right? To point out, to point out the truth in their life. Maybe even make them feel a little uncomfortable. You know, you know what I mean? Because, because, guys, there's a version of love that says, man, I can't say hard stuff to someone that I love because they might leave me. Like, I can't speak the truth to them or they might not want to be my friend anymore. I can't actually say what's on my heart because they, they might actually make fun of me. And what Jesus shows us is that ain't love. That that's some sort of fake love the world has created to keep people in fear of each other or shackled to each other out of obligation. But, but Jesus says true love is found in him and it contains both truth and grace. Two things. It's a love that says hard things that are true, but then also forgives through grace that saved us too. See, that is what loving like Jesus looks like, grace and truth. Yet he didn't just say these things as love bombs, you know? He's like, boom, boom. didn't like drop them with no explanation. No, 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 no. Jesus loved people in a way that was far more intimate than that. He actually invites them to walk with him, to stay connected with him. And, and this is how we start to reverse engineer these famous last words of Jesus to love one another. It starts by looking back at John 15, 9 through 11, where Jesus says this. Come with me, it says this. It says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. 
Now, here's what I love about this verse, okay? Here's what I love. Here's what it is. It's a hand-me-down verse, all right? Anybody remember hand-me-downs? Anybody had some hand-me-downs online? If you write any hand-me-downs, give me some thumbs up out there if you have. It's when you, you hand down clothes that you have outgrown or don't like anymore, or don't wear anymore, whatever, to your younger siblings or your cousins or your friends or whoever else. Parents, we love them, don't we? Love me some hand-me-downs. Kids, can't stand them, right? You can't stand some hand-me-downs. I used to get hand-me-downs all the time. Mama Hunt, you know this is true, right? Get hand-me-downs all the time. My kids get them too because I love them. But my son Easton, he's got a unique thing. He's got a unique hand-me-down situation going on for him. Because check this out. Cherie's brother, I'm not even joking. This isn't pastor exaggeration. Cherie's brother is seven feet tall, okay? And his wife is 6'3", right? So she married him so she could wear heels. That's what she says all the time, right? So seven foot tall, 6'3". They have a young boy that's, his, his name is Damon. He's a year younger than Easton. He's already 18 inches taller than my boy Easton, all right? So, so Easton, instead of getting hand-me-downs, Easton gets hand-me-ups from, from his cousin, okay? Kind of cool. It's all good. But Jesus says his love is a hand-me-down love, he just said. He says, my father gave it to me. I'm giving it to you, and I want you to give it to others. A hand-me-down love. And, and he says that, and here's the coolest part. That kind of love doesn't get knee, holes in the knees as it gets a little farther down the line, you know? It doesn't get worn out. It just gets like, it keeps, it's, 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 it's beautiful all the way through. And he says, if you love this way, if you love one another that way, guess what? You will be rewarded. And the reward is the joy of Jesus himself. That's amazing. So, so what, what do we know so far? Let's, let's think about it so far. First off, we know that Jesus' famous last words were love one another. And we are to love like Jesus loves us, okay? The second thing that we've talked about is that the way that Jesus loves is by loving us with both grace and truth. And that also, finally, Jesus tells us that the way he loves us is directly related to how the Father loved Jesus. So, so this means that Jesus is handing that love down to us and wants us to hand that love up down to other people. But here's the problem. If we left it there... I just gave you a really great churchy sermon, didn't I? You know, we, we have the old Jesus says soldiers, just do it. Let's pray and go home, right? We've been in some of those before. You've been in those churches, but here's the problem. We know the what, but we don't know the how yet. We know Jesus wants us to love one another, but we don't know how to do it. But Jesus is so amazing that he even gives us the how. Right? It's not Ikea directions. We know how to do it, okay? Jesus never leaves us hang with just a good churchy sermon that makes us you know, feel confused and frustrated and without any direction. No, no. He always gives us the how so that we can then be as close to him as we possibly can. can. And guess what? The how is where Jesus just shines. The how is always where he shines. This is what we see him do as we look further back. John 15, 5. Let's start in John 15, 5. It says this. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples." So, so Jesus it goes straight for a visual aid with these guys that he's with. 
But he chooses something familiar to make an unfamiliar point. Perhaps they were maybe near like a vineyard, wherever they were at, or maybe it was just kind of top of mind for Jesus. But for whatever reason, Jesus chooses the visuals of a vine and branches. And so what he's saying, he's saying like, hey, listen, he says, listen, I am the vine. OK, I am the vine. Right. This is this is who I am. I am the vine and you you are the branches. OK, he says, I'm the vine. You are the branches. And this is my visual aid. Right. This is what it is. Right. OK, um, I am the vine. You are the branches. This is this is what he says. It's going to really fall apart here in a second. Hang on with me. All right. And, and so living in the Central Valley, we can jam with what Jesus just said here. Because, guys, and again, if you're joining us and you're not in the Central Valley, this is just what we live with, right? We know a thing or two about vineyards, don't we? we? We see them everywhere. We see them all the time. We know that what a healthy one looks like, what a dead one looks like, how, how, much, how much time it takes to take care of those things. We see farmers ripping out vineyards when the plants are producing. We see big burn piles happening with dead branches everywhere. So we read that and we're like, that's Tuesday for us. Like, we get that, okay? We can relate to what he's saying. I think more than most, pe- most people can. But, but let's understand this a little bit more practically, okay? Because why would Jesus, in some of his famous last words, make a point to bring up gardening, of all things? Well, well the key word in this whole discussion is actually this word right here. It's the word remain. Remain, or to abide. It's the idea that we are grafted to Jesus. And it's when we choose to, to remain or to abide that we connect our lives to him and allow him to give us life. And he says that when we do that, then, oh my goodness, we bear much fruit. <laughs> right? Right, we bear much fruit. But what does that really mean? What does it mean to bear fruit in our life? Like what, is, what does it really, really mean? Well, I, I wanted to consider what Jesus is talking about as we look at really four branches. Again, we're the branches, he's the vine. Four different branches. So the first one that I want us to look at um, is this idea of identity. Um, the second branch I want us to look at is the branch of marriage. And then we're also going to look at a couple more. We're going to look at the branch of parenting. And we'll also look at the branch of our job. So our identity, our marriage, our parenting, and our job. We're going to look at all four of those. And, and here's, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to go out a limb here to a... <laughs> it's, it's a branch. Okay, all right, right? I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm a dad. i got to have dad jokes, okay, right? I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm going to assume something here. I'm going to say that all of us want the very best in all of these areas. I'm crazy enough to think that. Because I've never once met anyone that says, you know what, my goal, be a terrible husband. Yeah, just can't wait to knock that one out. I've never met any parent that's like, I just want my kids to hate me. Like, I just do, you know? Or, or I love, I, w- I want my job to consume me and give me ulcers. Like, no, no one ever does that. You, you know what I mean? Like, everyone, everyone wants the very best in all of these areas. And, and listen, I know that you might be here, maybe joining us online, that you might not be a follower of Jesus, You might not even be into this God thing. Man, I'm so glad that you're with us here today. Honestly, thank you for being here. But but here's the thing. I still know that you, even you, want the very best in these areas of your life too. You, You do that, which is why I believe that this is so important for us to lean into today. Because if there is a way to have more of this, more of in these areas, you'd want that. 
But what Jesus just said is that if you remain in me, if you abide in him, you will have the healthiest and most fruitful lives in all of these areas, he says. He says that we will actually bear fruit. So, so, so let me show you what this kind of means practically here today, okay? Let me, let me just give you practically. So, so we either are connected to the vine or are connected to the vine or unconnected to the vine. So, so what this means is, let's say, for instance, that, that if, if our identity and who we are, our identity, if I am connected to the vine, if I'm connected to Jesus, then the word that would describe this is my identity is durable. It, it's, it's just durable, See, 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 3 says, um, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. You see, when we are connected to the vine, our identity is rooted in Jesus. It doesn't matter what anybody else says. All we care about is what He says. And so if He says that we are forgiven, if He says that we are loved, if He says that we're worth something, that's what we listen to. Our identity is durable because it doesn't sway when we're not, when, when we're apart from, right? We always are connected with Him. But what happens when we get disconnected from Him is that all of a sudden from durable, it turns to temporary. Temporary. And here's what this means. Your identity being temporary because one day being, your identity is in your job. The next day it's in being married. The next day it is how much money that you make. The next day it's in how, how little money you make. You know, your identity is always a moving target based on what the culture is telling you that you should be. And so it's temporary. You don't really know, right? So when you're disconnected from Jesus, you have to be connected to whatever else the world tells you. And so it's a temporary type of identity. Well, well what about our, our marriage? Well, if our marriage is connected, um, what we'll find is that our marriage, the word I would use is that we are, we are united. Like we're, we're united together. If you've ever been to a wedding, you probably have heard this from Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 12, where it says, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. What this means is that you are united together and what unites you together is is Jesus. God is that third cord that binds you together, keeps you tight. You cannot be broken. And so you're united. You're, you are one person. You are moving together as a unit. And so you're united. If you get into a disagreement, you're still united because you have God as your, that's what you're connected to. You're always bearing fruit because of that. But when you decide that, that you don't want that, then what happens when you disconnect is that you become frayed. Right? You become afraid because you no longer have the third strand that's over here and it's just up to you two and that is difficult. Uh, 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 it's, it's because you, you don't have anything to bunt so you're just your individuals kind of living your own life and you might say, hey, you know, I don't have God in my life and my marriage is pretty good. Yes, maybe it is, but I'm just telling you that it's not as good as it can be if you have the third strand of God in your life. It's just, you're, if you're not connected, you're not bearing the fruit that you possibly can. And how many marriages do you see that are afraid and move apart when they don't have God in the middle of them? Or when they set God to the side, right? You, you go from united to afraid relationship, and that's where it gets really, really hard. Okay, well, what about our, our parenting? When, when, we are, when we are connected as parents, right? When we're connected as parents, um, here's the fruit that we are able to, to produce, right? We get to produce we have a focus. We are focused as parents. We're focused. Right? Eight, Romans 8.28 tells us, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. Right? We are focused. 
What we want to do as parents, we want to raise kids that love Jesus and follow him fully. Like that's the goal of our life. We don't care if they make a million dollars. We don't care if they go to the NFL. We don't care if they get straight A's. I mean, we care about those things. But ultimately what we care about is that we're focused on them loving Jesus, that we're living on mission for him. That if things go up and down and in between, we still are focused, we're together, we're moving forward as one unit for our kids to know who Christ is. And that is when we're connected to the vine. But when we get disconnected from the vine, all of a sudden what happens is that instead of being focused, we get foggy. We get really foggy. Because again, we don't really know where to go. We don't have our true north to guide ourselves where we're headed. We're all foggy and we're trying to figure it out. Well, well, maybe we should parent them this way so that, you know, they'll be happy. And if they're happy, maybe they'll be okay. Well, maybe we should just raise good kids. But what is good? And that fluctuates. Maybe we should have successful kids. But what does success look like? What is that really all about? So it just gets really foggy. But when you are connected to the vine, when you're connected to Jesus, you have a a singular focus. You know exactly where you're going. Instead of foggy, you're focused. Now, the final one, though, is our job. The final one is is our job. And, and when we're connected to the vine with our job, um, the cool part about this is, is, that, is that you actually have this cool word that I, that, that I think sums it up, is that it, your job is, is now a calling. You are, you are called. Your job is a calling. You, God has put you there for a reason. You are called to it. Um, Colossians 3.17 says, In whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That we realize that we're in this place at this time doing this job, even if it doesn't seem like it's the greatest job of all time, we are still there. We are called to do it. God has got me on a mission. And so you get up every day, you go to work, and you're like, I'm on a mission for God. I'm called. I'm excited about that. Even if you don't love your job, you love Jesus, and you're called. But what happens when we get disconnected, though, when we decide that, you know what, this whole God thing, I'm not sure if I really need it. If we get disconnected, all of a sudden what happens is we switch from, um, we switch from a, a, a calling, and then your job becomes, it's required, that's required. I got to have a job so I can make money. I got to have a job so I have definition of who I am. I got to have a job so I can put food on the table. I got to have a job, right? It's a got it. It's a required thing. Instead of a calling, it's required. See, what happens is that you still will grow some fruit as branches. Like you'll have some ways, some artificial ways of getting in there, but you can see that it's not as, not as beneficial. It's not fruitful. But I want you to check this out though. Check this out, Okay. Do you want to know the best part about being a, being a branch, though, is? The very best part about being a branch is that you don't have to worry about producing fruit. Right? Think about it. A branch can't will itself to make fruit. I mean, if you could get inside the branch's head, they aren't saying, make a grape, make a grape, make a grape, make a grape. You know what I mean? Right? Not, it doesn't work that way, Okay. No, 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 a branch produces fruit when, right? It produces fruit when it is attached to by the vine, right? It's attached. The source for the fruit coming is not the branch. It is the vine. But guys, that should be really freeing to us as Christians for a second. That we can't will ourselves. We can't try harder. Make Jesus mad. Make, make, make him more happy. Make him more happy. No, no. We, that can't be really good. We can't do that. We can't do that to produce the fruit that God wants in our life. It's, it's always him. He's the vine. It's him. It, it's Jesus. And when we're connected, we start, to, we start to bear fruit. Again, he is the vine. We are the branches. When we are connected with him, that's when we start to start to bear fruit. 
Guys, think about this for a second, okay? Think about this for a second. You and I make a terrible vine, but we were designed to be fruit-busting branches, right? Think about that. We, make we are terrible vines, but we are designed to be fruit-busting branches. And so I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, okay, I get it. Once I'm connected to God, I'm growing fruit, it's autopilot from here, right, baby? That's the goal, right? Mm, not quite. Okay, N not quite, because take a look at what Jesus says to start this whole conversation off. Again, we're reverse engineering this. Come back with me. Look in verse one of chapter 15. It says, I'm the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself it must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. See, as any farmer knows, the only thing better than a great harvest is an even bigger harvest the next year. That, that's what you want. And what God sees in you and me is a life that could be so full of fruit that we should open up like a Jesus Jamba Juice or something. You know what I mean? Like he's saying, there's so much potential. But in order for that to happen, Jesus says, you know what else is going to happen? Not only are you going to be connected to me, not only are you going to be connected to me, but when you start growing fruit, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to prune you. God is going to chip away at some things in our life that are keeping us from growing jumbo God fruit everywhere, right? And that we may not feel all that great about it, but it is worth it when it can produce a life completely different than what you're experiencing right now. And when you are pruned and when you start to grow, it's a life that's completely sold out to him in every way. And, and when we are connected to God, see, see, when we are connected to God, guess what else happens? Not only does it help us produce fruit in our own life, but guess what? It also is an example to people around us that they can see what's happening around us. And let me tell you, what should pour out of us is exactly what we're connected to. What should pour out of us is exactly what we're connected to. We can't help produce fruit that from the source that we're connected to. So instead of producing fruit that is selfish and greedy and worry and anger and bitterness and hatred and jealousy and all other kinds of stuff that, that we can do apart from God, when we are connected to Jesus, guess what we start producing? Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. And you want to know what? If we could cut open one of these fruits that we're producing, do you know what you would find inside each and every one of them? Little heart, little, little love. Every single one, there would be love in it. That when people see that we are, that, that the fruit of the life that is connected to God, that they should see love just gushing out of our lives. Not, not love of ourselves, but love of Jesus. Why? Why should that happen? Why should love pour out of us when we're producing this type of fruit in our life? Why? Because of what the disciple John said. And the disciple John is, is uh, we've re been reading out of his gospel, but uh, he wrote some other books. And in 1 John, we get to read something. And, and what we see in 1 John is that we see that John is reflecting on his life before Jesus, when he followed Jesus for over three years, being, being his closest friend, 
He heard all of his sermons. He saw all of his miracles. He ate meals with him. He prayed with him. He, was, he prayed for him. He saw him taken away by the soldiers and beaten. He saw his beaten body then nailed to a cross. He witnessed him suffocating to death on a, on a Roman cross right in front of him. Watched him forgive the very men that were murdering him right in front of him. Then, then he saw him give up his life. Saw him resurrect three days later. Then he saw him ascend back into heaven just like he told everybody he was going to do. And after all of that reflection, we get to hear John's words about what it meant to him. On all the things that he saw, what did it mean to him? Look at 1 John. 1 John chapter 4, start in verse 7. It says, Dear friends, this is John's words, let us love one another. Sound familiar? Let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. You see, as John gets to the end of his life, he reflects back on Jesus' famous last words. And he sums it up so beautifully. He says, God is the source of love. And he showed that love by giving his son Jesus up for you and for me in the greatest act of love that the world has ever seen on the cross. So in order to understand that love and to be connected to that love, we have to be connected to Jesus. So, so it means this. I want you to stick, have this stick with you. It means to love like Jesus, we must first be loved by Jesus. It's the only way. There is no way to love like him without him. When, when we know his love, we start to speak and think and act out of his love. Jesus' famous last words, love each other. That's the hope of the Father that wants the world to change by how his kids love and treat each other. Same thing we want for our kids. Jesus says that if you want to know how to love as I have loved you, then you need to be connected to Jesus. And sadly, I see it and you see it too. The people that say that they are or that they love Jesus, but they just aren't connected to him. And the reason Jesus can say that is because of what they're producing. If you're grafted to Jesus, you will produce Jesus-infused fruit. And if you're not, you won't. So the question we have to ask ourselves is how connected are we to Jesus? Are we called in our job? Are we focused as parents? Are we united in our marriage? Is our identity durable? If, if it's not, then the answer is simply we need to get connected to Jesus more. We need 
the vine connected to the branch. And maybe he's pruning you right now. Maybe you're in a season where you feel like you're connected, but man, he pruned you. Can I just tell you that when you get pruned, it, the flower doesn't happen overnight. Sometimes there's a season of waiting, but it doesn't mean that you're not growing. And if you'll wait, and if you'll hang in there, the fruit will get even bigger. You just have to be patient. You have to keep trusting. You have to stay connected. So my friends, wherever you might be at joining us, around the country, around the world, right here at Manteca, my prayer for you is that you will love like Jesus. But in order to do that, you must first be loved by Jesus. So, as we get ready to leave, as we get ready to log off, whatever it might be, my prayer for you is that you would stay connected to him, never get disconnected, and live a life for him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and ask so desperately that you would grow, would grow fruit in us. But we know that we can't will ourselves to do that. We have to be connected to you to do that. And so, Jesus, we want you in our life, and we want you to be our, our life source. So help us now to stay connected to you. As, as we get ready to log off, as we get ready to go about our day, whatever it might be, God, would you, in this moment, remind us of how good it is to be connected to you. Remind us of the fruit that could happen. And what if we started to live that way? What if we left this room? What if we logged off this TV and we went and did what you called us to do and we showed everybody that we were connected to you by our love? Help us to love each other as you have loved us. We love you. We thank you. Jesus, in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. Hey, guys, thanks so much for being here today. You guys online, thanks for joining us. Can't wait to see you next time. God bless you guys. Tag your it. Thank you for joining us this week on the Crossroads Grace podcast. If you enjoyed this message, please rate us and subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening from. If you are interested in getting involved in our community or want to find out more information, visit us online at crossroadsgrace.org. Thank you for listening to the Crossroads Grace podcast.